Welcome to today's uh, continuation of our FOG series. I love that name, Paul. FOG, F-O-G, the foundation of growth. And um, my name is Jerry Bierman. I'm with Paul Balsher. Welcome back, Paul. Morning, Jerry. So this is our four-part four series. And last week, we, we talked about financial as a fi foundation of growth. Um, this week, we're talking about organizational strategy. Next week, we'll hit recruiting and hiring. And then we'll bring it home with onboarding. So as we kick off um, organizational strategy, give us some context around it. When, when somebody says, Paul, what is organizational strategy, you would say? So this is where people really find out how much of a geek I am, Jerry, because I get excited about org strategy. And for a lot of people, creating an org strategy is like eating sawdust. But uh, when I think about an org strategy in a big picture, I think of it as being the people strategy uh, around achieving your vision for your business. And so uh, it's really an opportunity to step back. It's one of the first times in a business that a lot of people will actually take a step back and, and not look at themselves in the business because we want to look at what are all the functions that go on in the business? What are all, what's all the stuff that has to happen, right? Everywhere from a phone call has to be taken or made uh, to a product being produced and delivered to the customer. We're really going to take a step back and say, what is it that this business has to do on a day-to-day -day basis? What are all those activities? And put them into some organizational strategy, meaning divide them up into the positions it's going to take to do the work. That's good, Paul. Wasn't a very, wasn't a very short overview, was it? <laughs> no, I think, it, I think it's good. It, it, it prompts this question. is that We think of friend, uh, friends of ours like Don Patton, a sole proprietor, uh, and then we think of uh, friends like Rick Boyle, who you did a Winning Ways series with, um, or Winning Ways episode with. And depending on the size of the organization, there's going to be uh, more seats on the bus. So I love the, as you took us through the four-part vision series, followed up by the four-part value series, Paul. Um, I'm visualizing this organizational strategy as a vehicle, and you, the owner, leader, are driving the vehicle. And... Um, I can remember when, when my kids were younger, I, I need to have that mirror so I could see all the kids on the bus, right? All yeah. the kids in the seat. And you said something to me a minute ago that said, uh, one of the challenges for leaders is don't, don't find somebody and create a job for them. Find a job that's needed and find that person. That's a huge difference. Yeah, it is a huge difference. And it's it's what makes rehiring so difficult sometimes. You know, you hire Susie and Susie's got all these talents. And so you just start giving her work, but you don't really know what work she's doing because she's got her hands in everything, which is great until Susie relocates to Denver and you've got to replace her. And then you're like, holy cow, what was Susie doing? And she was so uniquely gifted that now I've got to find another Susie. And now hiring gets really, really hard because finding an exactly another Susie can be difficult. So if we look at the org strategy as seats on the bus and each one has a distinct, clear responsibility for, to get an outcome. I, I like to, as you know, I like sports. And so I always like to think of the org strategy as a sports team. And if we take our beloved Reds, uh, and there are nine positions on the field, right? So everywhere from a catcher to a pitcher to a first baseman, there's nine positions on that field, and they're very defined by the game itself. So we know what a pitcher does very clearly. And in a given play, we might say, in this play, the pitcher does this and throws the ball here. 
But in a business, it's a little more foggy because we're not, we don't have a set game that we're playing. You're putting in glass. Some of our listeners are making coffee. Some of our listeners are contractors. But we still have to do that same step back and say, what are the positions it's going to take to make this business run efficiently and effectively? What's all the work that has to get done? And I'm glad you brought up Don Patton because one of the things that Don Patton, and from my observation, has done really well is he's thought about all the different parts of his business, even though he's the only one doing them. And a lot of people in a really small business, they go, I don't need an org strategy. It's just me or it's just me and Joe and Susie, right? So they're like, we're too small to need an org strategy. Well, an org strategy is first and foremost about organizational strategy, not about who, who the people are that you're going to hire. That's secondary to that. The first step is, what's all the work that has to be done? And then let's put that in an order. And again, you get to define what those positions are. And when you're putting those in order, like take us through, you know, if somebody's, you know, sole proprietor to having 20, 30, 40 employees, um, where's a good starting point? Do you go for low-hanging fruit? Do you go for the big, uh, you know, do you go for the big, the big pieces, the big rocks? or the, the little pieces, low-hanging fruit? Where do, you, where do you even start? Yeah, that's a really great question. So, because if you've never created an organizational strategy or, or an organizational chart before, it's gonna feel overwhelming and daunting. And I always suggest people start analog. Don't, don't pull out some software and start trying to create an org chart. Get a whiteboard. I've had clients who use a big blank wall in their office and use post-it notes, and they yeah. start writing down uh, you know, work that needs to be done and grouping it into groups of post-it notes. And eventually those post-it notes start to form out what looks like positions within the company. You can do that on a, on a whiteboard with a big circle, you know, we need to do estimating. Well, what's involved with estimating? You can start writing in those tasks and figuring out kind of what positions does it take to get a proposal out the door? What positions does it take to complete a project? And so it's it's really an iterative process. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone just sit down and go boom, 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 boom. Here it is. This is what I this is what I need. It takes a little time in massaging and thinking through what's the work to be done. And at that early stage, it just, you know, my clients, they probably get tired of hearing this phrase, but I'm always saying positions, not people. Don't think about people. Because if you're creating positions around someone's unique abilities men, is that going to be hard to fill in the future because you have to find someone just like them. And it's great to have those people who have unique abilities. But if you think about the positions on your org chart, and this is where small businesses get hung up on this sometimes, think about those positions in your org strategy as buckets of work. And you can come along and pick up multiple buckets. In fact, once we get them all identified, and we start writing, I usually have business owners write their name in every one of the blocks that they're currently doing. And they go, oh, crap, no wonder I'm so tired because they realize they're in all these different buckets, right? Yeah. And so think about that in the sense that, because some people will go, well, gosh, I can't go hire 14 people and I've come up with 14 positions. Every, every square on every circle, whatever, however you draw it out on that organizational strategy doesn't necessarily mean it's a person. It's just a bucket of work that has to be done. And we can now start getting very clear about who's going to pick that bucket up and go with it. That's good. 
That's good. As, I, as I'm visualizing, and I've, I've gone through that exercise before, um, you also, when you, when you put like a bucket for instance, marketing, a marketing bucket, and, um, and you, you're responsible for that, Paul. So you're responsible for um, the going through the, you know, the contract with clients, the selection process with client, the scheduling with client. And then you look at your org chart and you're like, well, I'm responsible for marketing as well. How much time do I actually spend there? I mean, I can see how it could be depressing, quite candidly, to put yeah. a org chart up and be like, you know what? No wonder I suck so much at, at marketing because I'm responsible for that and I don't spend any time on it. Right. Right. It can be. And, and actually something you just said about when you said marketing, because marketing is not really a position, even though it might be a position. Um, when you talk about getting started uh, with an org chart, that's something I want to add is that very often it's easiest if you just start with departments versus positions, because like if you've never created these positions, they're going to be hard to imagine. But maybe you start with a big circle that says marketing and you start with a big circle that says accounting and you start with a big circle that says, you know, hiring or, you know, HR or whatever. Then you start to say, well, within marketing, what do we need? Well, we, maybe we need a social media person and maybe we need someone to, to manage the website. And, we, you know, and you just start brainstorming these things out and then you can start to arrange them into groups that make sense. Because here's the other thing. you it's important to know that people can pick up multiple buckets, but you're probably not going to hire the same person to do your creative writing and your accounting because it's two different personalities and two different skill sets. So while people can pick up multiple buckets, you don't want to be giving them buckets that are dramatically different to where it's impossible to fill those positions. So you got to really look at the positions you're creating and say, Am I creating a position that it's logical and reasonable to think I'm going to be able to find a human being who can do those things? Yeah. Well, Don Patton's really good at the financial piece, but as I'm visualizing this, a lot of, a lot of times leaders, small business owners, the spouse, right? So if it's a, if Kelly Clark owns the business, maybe her, her husband does the invoicing. Well, I shouldn't put him on full blast, but you know, people, people doing, family members doing my kids. I, I, I've had, I still have my kids working in our business, um, but there's certain, there's certain parts of the organization that are limping along because I don't have a designated person towards it, uh, you know, to that position. But it, I guess what I'm hearing you say is, Jerry, it's still helpful to put it up there and say, hey, um, you know, to, to achieve my vision, right? So to get the, the destination, uh, it's still good to recognize these are some of the areas that you need to fill along the way and maybe prioritize them. Yeah. You know, this is, that's, that's a really good thing you're bringing up too, Jerry, because there's a lot of, a lot of business owners kind of go, well, you know what? I'm not big enough and I can't hire somebody for marketing anyway, just to stick with your marketing example. I can't hire someone to do that anyway. Well, the point here isn't necessarily to, um, go hire someone suddenly to fill all these positions. It's to identify what they all are. And that's why it's positions first, not people. Because then you can create a hiring plan, a growth plan, right? As we grow, these are things we're gonna need to grow. These are gonna be positions we need to fill. And as we start talking about recruiting and hiring and onboarding, well, without understanding what the positions are that the business needs, now we don't even know what we need. So finding the right people is going to be really difficult. 
So we're, we're expressing in our organizational strategy, what does the business actually need to function properly? That's gonna feed into how, who and how and what are we looking for when we go hire people, right? So one of my favorite stories about that, and we're kind of pushing forward into hiring here, but it, the, the organizational strategy is a foundational piece to hiring. And I remember standing at an area event one night talking to someone and I asked them how business was going. They said, well, it's great, but I, if I could find some good help. And I said, well, what is good help? Like describe that to me. And the person just sort of looked like the deer in the headlights, right? And I'm not bashing this person. He's a smart, accomplished guy, but he struggled to tell me the answer to that question. And I said, you're not alone in that. It's really hard to find what we need when we don't know what we need. Yeah. So creating an org chart is one of those, one of those things you'll do that the work that goes into creating it, the thought process that goes into creating it is more important probably than the output that you're going to get out of it, right? The org chart itself is less important than the thought process and work you're going to put into actually creating it because you're going to get really clear about what are, how do the components of this business get broken up in an organized way so that I can now start staffing those positions to make sure that that work's being done. And yeah, there might be positions on that org chart that you go, I don't have time to fill them and I don't have anybody who can fill them, but at least you can start to make conscious choices about which ones to not fill rather than just sort of being in the groove that you're always in. That's good. And, and, and I made a note on here too, in, in leading your team, it's probably helpful for a lot of the team to recognize where you are and where you're going with your org organizational, like the organizational chart gives me the opportunity to bring in Mark and say, Hey, Mark, just a reminder, here's where you are. Here's the other pieces that we don't have filled yet, but this is the direction we're going. So That's right. it probably helps with vision casting a lot, doesn't it? Oh my God. Yeah. So much. And the clarity it brings as far as who does what, right? Whose job is it? And, and then of course, accountability, responsive reporting. I hate that, that approach to this, but uh, the reporting uh, arrangement that you have within the business, who's your manager, who am I managing, uh, who has authority to make what decisions and what areas. And of course, you've heard me say this before that I always tell clients, once you get this organizational chart created and we wanna start talking about authority and accountabilities, which most business owners, you know, accountability is one of those things they really want to get in the business, but they're nervous about. I always tell them now take the org chart and flip it upside down. Instead of looking people under you, take your org chart and flip it upside down and, and look at now the CEO is at the bottom of the org chart and take the viewpoint that everyone above you on the org chart, you're responsible for helping them be successful. Yeah, I like that. I like that because then you're the foundation as well, which is true. Your leadership is the foundation. And you mentioned offline before we jumped on today that you were rereading um, uh, Extreme Ownership. Yeah. And every manager needs to read Extreme Ownership, in my opinion. Yeah. But instead of, if I'm a middle manager and I've got five people under me, let's say for the sake of a lot of our listeners, I'm a project manager and I've got five carpenters working quote unquote under me. Uh, rather than seeing myself as their boss, if I flip that org chart over, I now need to see myself as the person responsible for helping them be successful. 
that kind of changes my approach. I got a lot of work to do now to make sure they have everything they need to be able to do their jobs. And I'm now accountable for whether or not they're successful. So it really sort of shifts to me, at least the mindset we take on about being a manager. And I'm also thinking, Paul, a lot of our friends and I, I in many ways am still there, but I was thinking when, uh, back when I was trying to scale the business, um, is that you do wear many hats. And so you do many times, I've got the, you know, uh, you know, the carpenter also do, handling the social media, like they're, but it, which is kind of, you know, it, it could, it could be humbling. It could be embarrassing, but it's also good for me to recognize where I'm at and to yep. say, hey, look, you know, Mark, I do need you to handle the social media. I do have your name here and there. This is the direction we're going. This is our, this is where we're currently at. This is an accurate representation of where we are today. And we're not always going to be here. However, it does seem, Paul, in really small businesses, which I am and most of our friends are, there is, there is in, on that organizational chart, you still will find your name in, in multiple different places. It's rare that you have a, using your baseball metaphor, that you've got a closer and all they do is closing. Yep. Uh, usually there is multiple hats that many of us wear. No, absolutely. And choosing those consciously is the, is the power that I think the org strategy gives you is making a conscious choice about what you're doing and not just greasing the squeaky wheel, right? You're, you're actually making a conscious choice to say, am I going to do this? versus am I going to do that? So I'll talk with business owners who are meddling around in QuickBooks, but yet they're not doing any marketing. And I'll go, why are you, you know, you could hire somebody for $15 an hour to do this work, but you're ignoring this important work over here. And so being able to make very conscious choices about, oh my God, why am I spending time in that bucket when I've got somebody on staff or it would be easy to hire someone on staff to do that work, or I could outsource it. I mean, bookkeeping so easy to outsource these days. So it, it's, I, I always love the power of choice, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm making a good conscious choice about where I should be applying my talents and skills and where my people should be applying their talents and skills. Yeah. Yeah. Helps you be intentional, doesn't it? Yes. Love that word. Love it. Yeah, that's good. Well, I guess the call to action if people have listened all the way through to this point is if you don't think you need it, do it anyway. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't okay. have to be complicated. You can put it in big buckets if you're a one person company, put it in big buckets. It doesn't have to be in a neat little software. You can scribble it on a pad of paper, uh, but just get clear about what it is. Because what you're doing is creating a strategy for what is it that, what are the positions that need to exist to complete all this work? And if you're a one person company, maybe you're filling all those positions, uh, but at least you have clarity. And in a multi-person company, we now have clarity about who's responsible for what. Yeah, Paul, and and again, I'm feeling convicted as I'm thinking of our organizational chart and putting those post-its everywhere and then auditing myself and saying, Jerry, where are you spending your time? look at that wall and look at the post-it notes and having that, that uh, transparent conversation with yourself to say, Jerry, you're spending all your time over here, Jerry, but you say your vision's this, how is spending your time there going to get you there? Yeah. And I think it will be, I think it will be an exercise that will be 
uh, humbling for many of us like me and convicting as well. So well, a lot of people are, a lot of people are going to think their employees could care less about an org chart, but think about it from the perspective of someone who's wondering what their career path looks like in your business, even, yeah. even within Alluring Glass is if I'm in this position, where can I go from here? And it may not be straight up the line. It might be, I want to go over there. You know, I'm, I'm installing glass today, but Jerry, I'd love to be a salesperson in the future. And then you create, of course, step two is creating job position agreements for each of those positions. You've now got something that you can say, well, here's the skills and the work that this position needs to be able to do. Why don't you start working on learning those? And, and so it can create a clear path for people to, to be able to have some growth movement within the business. That's good. This is a great series, you know, the, the get out of the fog, right? The foundation of growth. This is really good. Next week, so we're, well, next week we're going to cover something that um, uh, quite candidly I suck at and um, I don't do it a lot. I need to do a lot more is recruiting and hiring. Yeah. And the org strategy is a foundation for that. So it's good that we hit it first before we get to that. Looking forward to next week with you, Paul. Me too. Thanks again. 